Would you open your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 22, as we continue our series that we have entitled, Living in the Light of God's Invitations. We're looking at all those passages of Scriptures, not all, but many of the passages of Scripture, where Jesus invites us into a relationship with Him. Because so often, our hearts as humans are prone to believe the lies of Satan, the temptations and philosophies of this world, and the weakness of our own flesh, that God wants us to be distant from Him. We know the reality that God does not want that, but our hearts are often set on believing other things. So we're going to be reading another invitation from Jesus today in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. There's a parallel text in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24, where Jesus is telling the same story, potentially on a different occasion. Jesus is like all good preachers. He repeated his messages and uh, using them in different audiences and applying them in different ways. But both of those texts, which we'll be taking a look at today, tell the same key message about God's invitation to each of us. So I invite you to read along with me in your own copy of God's Word on the screen. Uh, behind me, you'll find the text or in the Version Bible app as well. You can follow along and have all of today's message notes as well. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore. To the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is God's holy, inerrant, eternal, and infallible word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. 
You know, over the last few weeks, we have been looking about at the reality of what it would mean to live in the light of God's invitation, to wake up every single day and to realize that God wants us to come to Him. And many of us believe that before we can come to God, we need to get rid of all of our problems, get rid of all of our burdens, change who we are completely, uh, fix everything that's wrong with us. And, and, and really, God's not interested in, in us coming to Him with all of our needs. But that is fundamentally the opposite of the way that Scripture describes our God. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen that Jesus is inviting us to come to Him when we are weary and overwhelmed with life, when we are heavily laden, right? And we've seen how Jesus is inviting us to come to Him when we're hungry, for all that we are missing out on in life, and when we're thirsty for all the things that could truly satisfy us. Jesus wants us to come to Him. And last week, we saw that Jesus wants us to come with an orientation, a a heart that is childlike. We don't need to come sophisticated, come with arguments and philosophies and degrees. Jesus wants us to come to Him in simple faith like children. And today, we're going to take a look at Jesus telling us a story about how God wants us to come to Him. And in this story, we're going to see once again that there's an extraordinary invitation. We're going to see that there are some distracted and evil guests or invitees, people who've been invited to this party. We're going to see how that frustrates the host of the party. And we're also going to see that there's a strict dress code. And then we're going to see that this party is a, is a forever celebration, and it's the kind of celebration that isn't something we're just waiting for to happen at some point in the future. It's something we participate in now in such a way that it changes us, and we become like the host. We begin to imitate the host in this life and forever. So we'll take a look at those breakdowns as we think on and reflect on the text that we just read. Now, once again, we see that there is an extraordinary invitation that Jesus is giving to each and every person, right? Uh, Jesus says, you want to know what heaven is like? Or he says something bigger than just heaven in a sweet by and by sense. He says, the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus has said he is bringing to bear right now, right here on earth. He's taking heaven and bringing it down to earth. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, some key characters you should know here. Jesus is saying, uh, the kingdom of heaven that has come down to earth and is begun now and is seeking its forever fulfillment is like this wedding feast. Now, the host of the wedding feast is God the Father. The son whose wedding feast this is, is Jesus. His bride is the church. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a great wedding feast given by a great and powerful king. And the king has sent his servants out to invite people to come to this wedding feast. And then right away, there's a problem. 
there's people who wouldn't come. Now, I don't know if you can imagine this. You know, I, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and there was a, a lot of, of uh, attention paid on global media to the wedding of Charles and Diana, right, in the United Kingdom. And, and, and you know, when that wedding was watched, it's the most watched wedding in global history. Uh, people all over the world watch this wedding on television. Some of you may remember that. Can you imagine getting invited to a wedding of, a, of some magnitude like that? Being invited to be a guest there and be a part of the parties that are associated with it. Or being invited to, to some modern Hollywood celebrity's wedding and you get invited and you get to, and they're like, and, and it's all expenses paid. You just come hang out. We're going to have a, a, a feast. By the way, a normal wedding feast during this day and time would be anywhere from five to seven days. That wasn't uncommon. So you, if a king gave a wedding feast, it would last for days and days, weeks even. All right. You're invited to come to this kind of thing. But there's people who would not come. Now, the king typically would do a couple of different things. He would send out a formal invitation. Today, we would call this a save the date, okay? So, he would send out a save the date notice, and then uh, he would do that with servants who would come out and announce, like in a town or a village, he would say, hey, save the date, you know, June 15th is the king's son's wedding, save the date, and they would make that kind of announcement. And then they would send the servants back when the wedding feast was ready. And they would repeat the invitation to make sure nobody missed it. And the, the couriers, the, they might entice you. They might tell you all the good things. So you want to come to this feast. The king has prepared all this wonderful food. He's doing all of this. And that's what we see in this story. Matthew describes that the king sent more servants to continue this invitation and say, say to all of them, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Come to the wedding feast. One of the fundamental misunderstandings that so many of us have about the nature of the kingdom of God is that we think the nature of the kingdom of God is a place where everything is tough and hard and you lose out on everything that you've ever really wanted or liked. Now, while it is true that the kingdom of heaven requires us to die to self and to sacrifice some of the deepest parts of us, it is never portrayed in Scripture as a place where we lose out on anything. God is inviting us, brothers and sisters, to partake of His great goodness, the goodness of His kingdom. And it's far better than anything than the kingdoms of this world can offer. So here's the problem that many of us have when we hear God's invitation. We'd really begin to believe right off the bat that maybe there's something better out there. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we find invitations to come and find that God is good. So in places like Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, we can read where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's an invitation to come to God and delight 
in the goodness of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 1611, another place, we see this in a song where the psalmist cries out, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is some small measure of joy, but really the world is much better. That's not what that says. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. All the joy you could ever want is found in the presence of God. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So right away, when we hear the invitation to enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb, the kingdom of heaven, to experience this, we need to stop ourselves and ask ourselves, do we really think this invitation is that good? Or really, is TV better? Are my earthly relationships and friendships and wealth and privilege and everything better than what's on offer? Now, this is going to matter a lot because in the story, this extraordinary invitation goes out, but there are distracted and evil guests, right? People who've been invited. So go to Matthew 22, verse 3. You see there, they would not come. The king sends more servants, verse 5. But the people who've been invited pay no attention and they go off, one to his farm, another to his business. See, if we don't really believe that God is as good as he says he is, what we will all do is make excuses for not coming in to his wedding feast, to the thing that he has put on offer for all of us. We'll make excuses just like these people did. Now, Luke details out for us these excuses. So in Luke 14, 18, he says very clearly, all the people who were invited began to make excuses. They had reasons that they weren't coming. Um, You know, it's always interesting to me, by the way, as a pastor, I'll just give you a little pastoral insight here. Whenever people tell me that they can't make it to church, there's always like a, a reason And here's what I always want to say back as a pastor, and I rarely do, is this. I want to say something like, who's your favorite performing artist? And if they give me that name. And then I said, so if you had free tickets to that event, given your situation right now, would you come? And if not, what are you saying? What you're saying is, the real issue is, I just don't want to. right? Well, far worse than what we do with a simple weekly worship service is the reality that many of us make excuses. We don't want to really enter into all the kingdom that God has for us. So we come up with excuses just like these people. Some people have the excuse of saying, I'm busy and we're always busy. By the way, everybody's busy, right? I've never met the person yet. It's funny to me because I know a lot of you as senior adults, you always tell me you're busy. I thought, well, when you retired, you would stop being busy. Maybe you thought that once too, right? There's always stuff to do. Well, some people are busy with their stuff, with their property, right? So if you look there in Luke 14, 18, that's exactly what one of them says. Says to the servants, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Jesus, I really would come to you, but some of my stuff is in the way. 
God the Father, I would really come to you, but you don't understand. I have a lot to take care of with my stuff. My motorhome needs to be cleaned. My property needs to be cared for. My, uh, my house needs to be taken care of. Uh, my TV, I'm waiting on a TV repairman, and the only time they can come is on Sunday morning, apparently. Right? None of us would ever do that. Other people are busy not with stuff, but with work, right? They've got their job. They've got their, vac- their vocation that stands in the place of entering into all that God has for them, right? Jesus, I would get up in the morning and spend time with you and with your father, but you have to understand that I really need to rush off to work today. None of us would ever do that. Well, you find that excuse there in Luke 14, 19. Another gives the servants this excuse. I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Oxen are for work. He's saying, I'm busy with my work. And it's not just one yoke of oxen. It's going to take me forever. It's five yoke of oxen. You don't know what's on my to-do list, God. If you understood, then you would understand why I'm not spending time with you. Right? Well, there's other excuses too, right? People are busy, maybe not with stuff or with their work, but maybe they're busy with family. Certainly family is important, and we believe that. But can you be so busy with family that you don't have time for God? One of the people says in Luke 14, 20, I've married a new wife myself, and therefore I cannot come. People use family all the time. One of the contemporary variations of that is the fact that people can easily find the ability to get up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning to go to their kid's soccer practice or their grandkid's soccer practice. But making it to church at 1030 is really difficult. What we're betraying is what's important to us. And over and over again, this invitation that God gives us is rejected because we have all kinds of excuses. Maybe it's not any one of the excuses here. Maybe we're just busy with life or busy with what Scripture would call the world, all the things that are happening around us. And in another parable, Jesus talks about how all the burdens of life, the cares of this world... The desire for other things, maybe not property or a career, maybe it's some other pursuit of significance, or, or it could be almost anything. All of these things can enter into our lives and choke out the Word of God, the Word of invitation, so that it doesn't bear fruit in our lives. So I want to ask you this. When God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit come to you this week with an invitation to come into their presence, to hear their voice, to delight in them, to live out the reality of God's kingdom in the here and now and forever. What excuses are you going to use? Some people, by the way, they go much farther than just making excuses. See, The advent of a king's son getting married might mean the king is coming to reign. And 
I'm not sure I really even like that king. I'm not sure I like the idea of the king inviting me. Maybe I've got a feast that I want to throw. Maybe my kingdom is what matters. Maybe my kingdom is what I really am in pursuit of after all. So some people respond to the invitation to a wedding feast, believe it or not, with hostility, anger, and violence. You see that as well in this story. Matthew chapter 22, verse 6, the some of the people seize the king's servants that are inviting, and what do they do? They, scripture says they seize them, they treat them shamefully, and they kill them. Now, Jesus is speaking through an allusion here to the prophets that God had sent his people over and over and over again, inviting them to come to live in the reality of the kingdom of God's grace. He's speaking of what would happen to his disciples as they go out into the world with the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and the advent of his kingdom. And what's going to happen is that there are people who hate that message so much that they will kill or use violence. So you can imagine if you're the king and you've got this great and mighty wedding feast and this is the reaction of the people on the guest list, how would that make you feel? Would you be a little bit frustrated? <laughs> a little bit frustrated with this response? Well, that's exactly what you see. Luke describes uh, clearly this response and so does Matthew. Go to Luke 14, 21. The servants come back and they report all of these excuses to the king. They come back and they report the excuses to the king and they say, and by the way, some of the servants you sent out have been killed and treated shamefully and bad things have happened to them. And scripture says, the master of the house became angry. I laid out a banquet for you. And you sped on the people that I sent to tell you this good news? I've invited you to a place where there's pleasure forevermore. And you've rejected my invitation. So we see a series of actions. There's a, a fair determination. Right away, there's a sort of a verdict. It's not a legal verdict, but a, a fair determination of who these people are. So the king says to his servants, listen, uh, here's what I, you need to know. My wedding feast is ready, but the people who were invited were not worthy of the invitation. They all thought they were better than the invitation. They had better things to do. And by the way, there is always going to be a just response to man's evil rejection of this invitation. The king, in his anger, sends troops and destroys the murderers and burns their city. Never, ever mistake the kindness of God for softness. They are not the same thing. 
Never mistake the grace of God for the idea that He is not holy and just. There are real consequences for spending your life on things other than His kingdom. The king does more, though. He expands his guest list. And this is good news. This is great news. So, when the people who are invited rejected, he gives his servants this command. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Picture this. Imagine, once again, some grand royal European wedding. Maybe it was like Charles and Diana's wedding type thing. And all the guests are determined to be unworthy. They don't want to come. And so, they send out people into just ordinary streets, into the streets of London or Los Angeles and someplace, and they find homeless people there on the street. They find all these people wandering around. They say, you, you've been invited. Come on. (laughs) Isn't that shocking? In fact, Scripture says very clearly, these are not people who have their act together, people who are dressed up nicely, people who deserve to be there, people of sophistication and education and social standing. In fact, the very clear implication of this story is that the unwanted and undeserving are now invited. Look at Luke 14, 21. The master becomes angry. He says to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, the next time a tech mogul from Silicon Valley or some grand media recording artist Hollywood person has a giant wedding, or maybe they're just some billionaire that puts everybody on board a 747 and flies them out to a private island for their wedding. Or some royalty member does this. And you see pictures of this in some magazine. Go ahead and count how many people are there that are poor. How many disabled? Jesus intends for us to be shocked here even more so than we are because we have sort of this performance orientation towards doing good. So you might have somebody who's wealthy and powerful saying, well, you know, I felt sorry for the homeless guy on the corner, so I gave him a back table somewhere. But that's not what Jesus' society was like at all. You would never invite the poor, the blind, the lame. These are societal rejects. These are the unwanted and the undeserving. But there's still more. The king's not just interested in having the unwanted and undeserving being there. He's interested in the far away and the reluctant. The far away and the reluctant. Uh, The servants come back and they say this, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. There's still more room in the, in the wedding hall. So the master says to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel. The word there can be used to strongly persuade. It's literally almost the picture, the word picture is drag. Drag people 
to come in because it is critical that my house be full. My son's wedding is going to be celebrated. So go out farther. Don't just stay in the streets of the city. Go out beyond. Find the people that are far away and bring them in to this house. Are you beginning to get a picture that maybe this wedding is like unlike any wedding you've ever seen before? The people who are far away from God, they get invited. It's not the religious, the ethical, the socially good. In fact, by the way, it's very clear in the passage that it's the morally mixed who come. The morally mixed. And keep reading. Matthew 22.10. The servants went out onto the roads. They gather all whom they found, both bad and good. Such is the nature of the invitation that God has given. Because His goal is to fill that wedding hall with His guests. So here's something you and I need to understand. God the Father is not looking for people who have it all put together. You may feel like you're very far away from God. You may even be reluctant or skeptical or cynical. You may be uncertain about what you think about God. You're invited. You're invited to come and find in Him greater joy than you have ever understood or experienced before. You may say, well, I'm not a very good person. Congratulations, you're invited. In fact, if you think you've got your act together, you may have a problem. Because you see, this wedding has a strict dress code. A very strict dress code. Uh, look at Matthew twenty-two eleven. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there, there was there a man who had no wedding garment. Now, this is not a California beach wedding where you can show up wearing your uh, shorts, your board shorts, and your sandals, okay? That's not the way this works. Uh, one of the reasons that kings would invite wealthy and powerful people was that there was an expectation that you would show up dressed in your finest studs. This, think of it like, like a black tie type wedding where everybody's expected to be super dressed up, right? There's an expectation that people come with this. But remember who's just been invited? The poor, the blind, the lame. They don't have wedding clothes, so what would happen in a case like that? Well, historians and biblical scholars tell us that there are numerous occasions where what would happen is a king would demonstrate the vastness of his wealth and his grace by giving the people who came to the wedding, each of them, a wedding outfit. So you would come to the wedding feast... And there would be a set of servants, they'd be looking you up and down and go, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, pastor there, you, uh, man, you've been putting on some pounds, but we got a tux that we can fit you in. <laughs> and I've got one of the ladies and say, well, I, you know, I think you're, think you're a, a size 10, a size eight there. We've got a dress for you. There's the changing room. Go put on the outfit. The king comes in though, 
despite his generosity and his wealth and his extravagance of inviting all these people to this wedding feast, giving them this outfit, and he finds somebody that's not wearing the provided clothing. They don't have a wedding garment on. Whatever they came in was something they apparently thought was good enough. Maybe they thought it was better than what the king was providing. So what results is a bold confrontation. The king says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Now, right about then is when that person realizes, I'm in trouble. They're speechless. What do you say to the person who's invited you, but you rejected the gift of the clothes? There are severe consequences for rejecting the king's offer. Here's what they are. The king says to his attendees, attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You reject how the king wants you to come to his wedding feast and you get thrown out of the party hogtied. Now, Jesus gives a rather cryptic explanation here. Uh, you need to know all the other things that he's been teaching in his career and, and that his, certainly his apostles illuminated. He gives this explanation, many are called but few are chosen. What does that mean, <laughs> right? One way to think of it is this. The problem that all of us have is that we all show up at the wedding feast without the right clothes. See, here's the problem that so many people have when they reject God's invitation. They think they don't need it. They don't want it. They think they've found something better and even if they do come, many of us come thinking that what we are wearing spiritually is good enough for God and He should just take us the way we are. Folks, that is not biblical theology. That's not what Jesus teaches. We all show up at the invitation of God without the right spiritual apparel. We can find many passages of Scripture that teach on this. You go all the way back 800 years before Jesus to Isaiah 64, 6. And Isaiah says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You can show up with your best moments, your most religious activity. You can show up with your most sacrificial things you've done for the kingdom of God, and all of it looks like rags in the eyes of an infinitely holy God. And so all of us show up poor and blind and lame. We need a new wedding outfit. God, by His grace, must clothe us with a new wedding outfit. And that new wedding outfit is an outfit of salvation. He must save us 
from ourselves. That's why you find in Romans chapter 3, 23, it says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us not dressed adequately for the wedding. But in Romans 3, 24, it says this, all of us are justified. We're made right by God's grace as a gift. Like the king would give a wedding outfit to the people that would come We need to receive the gift of God's justification. It comes to us through the redeeming work of Jesus. The work that He came to buy each of us back and bring us to God. God put Him forward, it says, as a propitiation, a substitute for us to take the consequences for our sin and to impute to us righteousness. To give us that which we don't have. And we receive that gift by faith. By believing that the gift is real. It's ours. And all we have to do is put it on. See, I want you to understand that God is at work in the lives of people. To speak into their lives. To give us the faith that we need to receive that gift. When Jesus says many are called and few are chosen, what he's saying is this. Many people hear the invitation to come to Jesus Christ. They may even superficially act upon it. They may even do it with a great deal of religious fervor. But here's the thing. If you didn't understand the nature of what you were actually being invited to, then you're like that guest that shows up at the wedding feast wearing your own clothes and thinking you're good enough. Good enough to get in. Scrubbed up enough. Praise God that He sends forth His Holy Spirit to give us the faith and convict us of the truth. Jesus has said this already. We've studied this a few weeks ago. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What happened to the person that wasn't wearing their wedding outfit? They were cast out. There's a grouping of people who've been chosen by God to be objects of His grace, and they will never be cast out. Jesus goes on to say, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's some of us that have heard the invitation, not merely outwardly with our ears or understood it with our minds, but the Holy Spirit has come and invited us in the deepest part of our being. And we've heard that invitation. And we're shocked. Who? Me? You're inviting me? To the wedding feast? I'm not wearing the right clothes. I don't have my act together. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm I'm blind and I'm lame and I'm poor. And the servants say, yes, you. You're invited. So that gifted apparel that the king wants to give us, it's the perfect life that Jesus lived. See, God sent his son into this earth, not merely to die for us or even to be just resurrected to give us the hope of eternal life. He sent his son to live a perfect life, to do what Adam should have done, to love God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength all of his days. 
And that's what Jesus did to love his neighbor as himself. We need to be covered with the righteousness, all the right things that Jesus did. That's the outfit that is on offer to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read there about the great exchange, right? On the cross of Calvary, Jesus becomes sin. All the sin of humanity is placed upon him. It's like he's covered with all the filth and disgusting things that you and I have done. They all get placed on Jesus. They all are at his charge. He's been charged and found guilty of all those things. And all of the perfect and righteous things he has done have become credited to us. All the works that Jesus did, all the love that he showed is ours. That's why it says, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't underestimate what those words just said. You can become the very righteousness of God himself. And what's the right response to that? When you find out that you've been invited to this amazing wedding feast and that you can show up far away, poor, blind, lame, and that there you get covered with the perfect, beautiful robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there's really only one right response, right? Joy. Joy. To rejoice in God's gift. Isaiah speaks exactly of this moment. He says there, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. There's the wedding robe. Why am I happy? Why is there a joy in the life of a believer that can never be taken away by situations and circumstances? You can say, listen, I may be standing here mess, broken, you don't like me, maybe I've made mistakes, Guess what? I'm covered in a robe of salvation that I never earned, and I'm invited to a forever party. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like priest with a beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Wedding clothes. Wedding clothes. And that celebration... That joy, it begins now and extends into forever. It's not someday in the sweet by and by. It's a forever celebration that begins right now. You've been invited to partake of the feast of the Lamb now. To come to God and find there the great satisfaction and joy of your soul. And someday... All that remains of the brokenness of this world will be stripped away and all of its Edenic perfection will be made manifest. And when Scripture describes that moment, well, we read it at the beginning of the service. Jan read it so beautifully for us. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Here it is. On this mountain... 
the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. A lot of Baptists are going to be really disturbed at all the wine. Of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What is that veil? Well, it's death. He'll swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces. The reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We've been waiting for this day, that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Brothers and sisters, do you hear, not just now, but on Monday and Friday and next week, if Jesus tarries, the invitation of the King to enter into the feast that He has prepared, which someday will become fully manifest, and which now we partake of symbolically through the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a few minutes. What happens to a person that encounters this kind of grace? If you know you showed up at the wedding feast unentitled, that you didn't earn your invitation, that you didn't deserve to be there, That in fact, you showed up in nothing but dirty rags and you got sent off into the shower and got scrubbed clean by the blood of Jesus and cloaked in His righteousness. What happens to the soul of a person that knows they've been invited to find their great joy in God forever? What happens to them right now? What happens to a group of people that that has happened to? It changes us. It transforms us and it makes us live out the reality of imitating the invitation that we have received. It makes us into people who extend the grace and mercy that we have received to other people. In fact, the surest sign that you've understood the the nature of the feast you've been invited to and the great joy that you've been given and the opportunity you've been uh, presented with even though you didn't deserve it is that you want other people to be there too. You want to invite them to the feast. And you aren't looking around for the people who have their act together. You're looking for the people who are just like you, poor, blind, lame, maybe some good, maybe some bad. Now, Jesus gives us something very interesting here. At the beginning of telling the story in the Luke account, he has given a very practical instruction for biblical hospitality, but don't just read it on one level. Jesus says, listen, if you're part of my kingdom, when you give a feast, you give a feast like my feast, 
Don't look for the people who deserve it or the people who can pay you back. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Just like we could never repay God. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now that's a practical implication for how we do our parties and our invitations and how we serve and bless our community. But spiritually, it means that we're in the business of finding people that think they are so far away from God and saying to them, did you know you're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb? Oh, I know you're going to tell me all the things you've done wrong so that you don't deserve to be there. But neither do I. And the king's got a robe for you. Don't you want to come? Do you see how the community of faith is changed by the celebration of the feast? Oh, we're not hoarders. We're not even like some people I've seen at Baptist potlucks busy gathering everything for themselves and fighting for first position in line. We're out there inviting people to come and partake of the goodness of the King. Let's pray. Let's ask God to do that work in our lives. Father, thank you for inviting us to the wedding feast of your son. Thank you for sending forward that inward voice of the Spirit and the outer per, uh, voice of people who spoke to us the word of grace, whether it was in a Sunday school class, a sermon, or somebody sharing at our workplace or a neighbor across the fence. We didn't deserve to hear the good news of the invitation. We certainly didn't come cleaned up, wearing an outfit of our own making that was worth anything. Thank you for inviting us into a feast that lasts forever. Forgive us for making many excuses, for forgetting the goodness and the scope and the depth and the height of all that you have given us. Change us into a community that extends your invitation into this world. Draw in to our body the spiritually poor and blind and lame and naked. The people you are drawing to yourself, bring them to you. Through us, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.